Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. We have been in the book of Ephesians. Uh, now, the last two weeks, we've been talking about the equipping gifts that Jesus gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, so that we would be equipped for every good work and so that we would be mature in our faith, having the understanding that our maturity, that these ministries, these leadership ministries in the church or equipped equipping ministries afford us the ability to experience the fullness of Christ in our church, in our bodies, in our small communities called discipleship groups. And so as we enter, all of that is possible because, because of what Christ has done. We have learned in Ephesians so far that Christ sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, when they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, they believed in him, and then Christ sealed them with his Holy Spirit. He was the guarantee for our inheritance. We see then that their salvation was to unify the Jew and the Gentile. God was making one body, one church, He made all of them members of that same uh, body of people that received the promises of God. He included all of the peoples of the world in Jesus' death, in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and in his exaltation. And so, as the church experiences the fullness of Christ, it's important that we understand that what we believe affects how we live. I know that you've heard this before. It's nothing new. Uh, Maybe it is new for some of you. But we always live in accordance with what we believe. If whatever we believe affects how we live, how we make choices, how we think, how we feel, whatever we believe. And so it was important It's a normal thing for Paul to write all about what Jesus has accomplished, good doctrine about who Jesus is, and then lead us into practice. Because it always follows that Jesus does everything we need in order for us to be. Say, Jesus has done everything we need in order for us to be. So the, the, the structure of a lot of uh, what letters that Paul has written go that way. Talk about Jesus. It's a Christocentric theology that Jesus is everything. He's done everything. Everything is for him. And then we respond out of that life, out of the things that he gives to us. We then respond. And so as we get to chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, this is the overflow of what Christ has done. We're going to talk about the old self versus the new self, but there is no old self unless Jesus came, and there is no new self unless Jesus does something in us, right? A new self in which we could align ourselves with who Christ is and his life for us. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24, and then we'll unpack that section of scripture, and then we'll do the... the uh, the remaining verses, and we'll unpack that. That's how the flow is going to go today. Let's read here. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're reading from the English Standard Version today. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and even given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We've seen Paul use the word Gentile before. And that is to speak of a people group, a nation of people who are not Jews, who are distinct from the Jews. That's how it has been used. The other way that you can look at this word Gentile is to look at it from the, the, the perspective of a group of people united with uh, like customs and, um, excuse me, and values, which in a sense would be culture. So what he's what it, he is referencing is culture. Culture influences the way you think. Culture influences the way you feel. And culture influences the way you act. And so when he characterizes the Gentile way of living, when you see the word walk, what you need to understand is this, how do you conduct your life? And he's saying that you should not conduct your life as the Gentiles do. And the way that he characterized this way of thinking, this culture that they had been a part of, but because they heard Jesus, believed in Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, are now equipped to no longer walk in that way. And so remember what I said when we started. It always is Jesus initiating, doing everything that we need in order for us to be. So if the way that he characterizes the Gentile way of thinking or the way of feeling or the way of acting, he says to them that this, they are darkened in their understanding. Sorry, futility of their minds is, is to say that it's empty. There's an emptiness to their way that they're thinking. There's no substance to it. Nothing leading to a life of substance. And they are darkened in their understanding. There is no light There is no ability to grasp. There's an inability to grasp the truth. And he says to them that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So their inability to understand, their inability to grasp truth uh, ultimately uh, results in a hardened heart that brings about the separation between them and the life that God has to offer. There is truth that needs to be grasped. There is something that needs to be understood in order for us to walk in the life of God. It says that they are callous. They have become callous. They have been numb in their, in their feelings and have given themselves up to sensuality. All of this hardness of heart, this emptiness of mind has led to sensuality. That is to give themselves up to, to desires. Not just desires, but lustful desires. And not just for any lustful desires. This is all kinds of lost, lustful desires. All kinds of impurities. There's desires that are mixed in with, uh, with, with impurity. That, that, is not, um, that is not the way that they ought to live. So that's how the Gentile way is characterized. But what we see here in verse 20 is that Jesus brings about a different culture. Right? If the Gentile culture means that their, their way of thinking is empty, lustful desires, their way of acting is, is, is unjust and unloving and unmerciful, that their way of, of uh, feeling is skewed, it's flawed, it's leading them down paths where they should not go, and really where they were helpless at one point were helpless in and they they were given to that but it says here but that is not the way you learned Christ in this statement 
what Paul is saying is you have, this is in the context of relationship with Jesus. That is not the way you learn Christ. He doesn't go and begin to immediately say what you learn about him, knowledge to grasp, facts, principles about Jesus. He says, no, you have not come. This is not the way you learned Christ. You didn't learn how to be in relationship with Christ in that way. Meaning that when we come into Christ, there is a new kind of culture that we give ourselves to, that we are invited into, and we give ourselves to. This is what I would like to call kingdom culture, where relationship with Jesus is central. We learn Christ. The Gentile life, way of life, is not what we learn from Jesus. In fact, for Paul to say this in verse 20 is to, to say that it is absolutely incompatible with what Jesus has taught us. What we've heard about Jesus and what we've been taught in Jesus, Paul says, does not result, or does not result in the Gentile way of life, but in kingdom life. Kingdom culture, as I see it unfolding through the book of Ephesians, is every people and nation possessing and operating in the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the actions of Christ. When we think of kingdom culture, we should think holistically. The thoughts, the feelings, and the actions we possess every people in every nation, possessing and operating in the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the actions of Christ. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And he says to us, but we have the mind of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 12, Pastor Jim will be preaching on this in next week. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the actions of Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. I think a lot of what we face in life, when it comes to the, our sanctification and our progression in that, what gets in the way of that is what we bring into the kingdom, or, or in a sense, what we try to bring into the kingdom. We, we often do not stop to think of, all right, now that I've accepted you, Jesus, now that I've received your salvation, now that I have received your Holy Spirit, what, what of my old life can come and what of my old life cannot come? Because Jesus is teaching us a different way. He said himself, I am the way. So to know the way is to know Jesus. It cannot happen out of relationship with Jesus. You can work as hard as you can to live up to the principles of the Bible, but it would be lifeless in you because you have no relationship with the Lord. So what you start understanding is, is that what cannot transfer over into kingdom living, it's actually good for me. It's actually good for me that these things cannot enter because these things would come over here and make me a defiled person. So you didn't come to learn Christ that way. In the futility of your mind, he didn't come. He came to bring you soundness of mind. He came to bring you fullness of life, right? He came to bring you light. So anything that is of the darkness, anything that is of empty thinking, cannot transfer over into the kingdom culture, into the kingdom life that Jesus brings. And I, 
Remember what I said, that Jesus does everything that is necessary for us to be. And so having all of this knowledge of what God, I love the fact that Paul prays those apostolic prayers in this book. And I'm glad that Pastor Jim has given attention to them. Because even to understand God's love for you and for me, it requires a work of Jesus inside of me. He prays, strengthen them in their inner man so that they may comprehend how great is the love you have for them in Christ Jesus. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love for you. There's no way to comprehend that unless the Lord is doing his work in you. And before you could even understand his love, he urges and he asks the Lord that that God would strengthen him, that he would settle himself in your heart and in mine. The settling of Christ, as Pastor Jim taught us, is not a rental agreement, but an ownership. He gets to change every wall. He gets to change all the plumbing. He gets to change all the electricity. He gets to do whatever he wants. Make additions to it, take stuff out, build it as high, build it as low. He gets to do whatever he wants, and that is for our good. That is for our well-being. And the the thing is, is that Paul is calling us to, to receive the invitation to bring alignment into our lives with the kingdom of Jesus. Because that is what he does as the great apostle. An apostle goes to foreign places to create in that foreign place the kingdom culture of heaven. So wherever they go, whatever is not of the kingdom, whatever is not of the king, they transform it and make it so that that can be a dwelling place for the king. So that when the king comes... He sees, oh, my culture is here. My life is here. I can be here. You get it? So wherever Jesus goes, wherever Jesus sends, he's always transforming those places, particularly you people, us people, so that he might make us a dwelling for himself and might find a place to settle in and be at home. I want Jesus to be at home in me. I need that. And so having all of this, this uh, buildup, this buildup of great works that Christ has done, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? All of this buildup, Paul then brings us to a place of invitation. He says to us, therefore, Having put away falsehood, sorry, that's not what I am looking at. Maybe. All right. I'm already there. My bad. So what he says to us is, if we have not learned Jesus Christ in the way of a Gentile way of living, how they conduct themselves, how have we learned Christ? We have learned in Jesus, he says, assuming that you heard about him, and we're taught in him. Really, that about is not in the Greek, so it should be assuming that you heard him. Meaning that you as a people have the ability, wherever Jesus is preached, you have the ability to hear him. Not necessarily the spokesperson that is speaking on behalf of him, but you have the ability to hear him. Remember that this kingdom culture, what is central to it is relationship with him. We've learned Christ. We have heard his voice. We have learned the truth about him. We were taught in him as the truth is in him. So what we come to is to a place where we deny that that anything that is not Jesus, that anything that is not from him is not truth. Because the truth is in Christ. Paul says that all the wisdom is found in Jesus in the book of Colossians. Hallelujah. And so we've heard him, we've been taught in him, 
as the truth is in Jesus, things that are factual, things that are reality. The reality, our reality is in who? In Jesus. And so having learned Christ, you and I are receiving this invitation now in verse 22 to put off your old self, which doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your former way of life. The scripture declares, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So we, what I like to think of oftentimes is that my, my mind and my heart is catching up to the reality of heaven, to the reality of my position as a holy, blameless son of God. That is my position. My life now is lived on earth for every day to come into alignment with that. And you come into alignment by renouncing. That is what that put off your old self. You renounce. You renounce the things that are not of the kingdom of God. And you embrace the things that are of the kingdom of God. Amen? Why should you renounce the old self? Well, it's part of your former way of life. And as you know, it's corrupt in its deceitful desires. The, the very desires that come out of that former nature, nature is really rotten in the core of what it is. How many of you love to eat rotten things? How many of you like to be around rotten things? Nobody. It does not have the aroma of life. It has the stench of death and decay. Who you were, who you formerly were when, until Jesus came in, was rooted in corruption or rotting. So even the desires that it has, I, you, you who go food shopping, you who clean out your fridge, you know that when something is rotting, touches something else, the rot spreads. Right? And so what the beauty of it is that Jesus removes us from the rot, <laughs> sets us in places and starts to fuel his life inside of us, bringing resurrection life to us from the spirit to the body, from the spirit to the soul to the body. Who has praises for the Lord for that? So he invites us to renounce, to put off the old self that is being corrupted. And he invites us in verse 23 to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you're going to be aligned with kingdom culture, with having the thoughts of Christ, the mind of Christ, then you need a renewal of your mind. And this renewal is a renewal that happens over time. You know, you know when the light bulb shines and you're like, oh, I should not be thinking this. My mind should not be going this way, right? I should not be dwelling on this this thought right now. You ever have those moments where your thought process goes in that corrupt old man and then Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, that's not the mind of Christ. And so you have a choice. You have a choice in that moment to align yourself with Holy Spirit or go on with your rotted, corrupted thinking. And you know where that leads. Never to life. Never to light. Never to righteousness right? And the word of God says the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, all righteousness, right? Amen? Righteousness and truth is in Christ. So we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's an ongoing process that allows for us new levels of understanding. And those new levels of understanding are not to puff you up, but to transform you. Revelation is never meant for you to be puffed up. Revelation is always meant for you to be transformed. Paul says in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need your mind renewed. You need the mind of Christ. It's no wonder why the word repentance means a change of thought, a change of mind. Right? 
So you, you have this one way of thinking about who God is, who Jesus is, how to be saved, how to make um, payment for your sin. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes with his kingdom and says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And you change your mind about who's the king, who needs to, who, who deserves your loyalty, who deserves your life. That is a change of mind. I love that Jesus brings us into participation and not passive members of his body. He brings us into active participation in this process of renewal. And let me tell you that the Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. Say it with me. The Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. So, those of you who are like, oh, i got to repent for this again, consider that a grace. Consider that the kindness of the Lord. Because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to repentance. Anytime that something comes up, it's never just the Lord. I love that he never just brings something up just to like, see, told you. He always brings something up in order for me to be transformed and changed. And so... When those things come up, receive it. Walk in that invitation because what he's inviting you into is to renewal that brings transformation. Amen? Setting our minds on things above. I've heard it said many times. You got, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's a lie. That's a lie. Right? You have your heads in the clouds. Well, if your heads are in the clouds, but your eyes are not gazing Jesus, then I understand that. But if your eyes are gazing onto the beauty of Christ, the, the, the lordship of Jesus, the, the righteousness of Christ, the truth of who Jesus is, that brings direct effect and change into your life. So change us, Lord. Change us as we behold you. Change us as we put your, your word to practice and, and giving our attention to you, and looking to you, Lord, and seeing your life, and seeing your goodness, and seeing your righteousness, change us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Bring purification in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. He also invites us to put on the new self. So there is renouncing of the old self, and there is the, the putting on. The being clothed with. Put on the new self, which is already in your favor. The new self is already prepared to accomplish something because it's created in the likeness of God. It's a restoration of what God intended in the beginning when he said, let us make man in our image. So Jesus, as the second Adam, comes and brings the restoration of this very thing that we were supposed to live with all along. In the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. To say that it is true righteousness is to say that it is what God has deemed right before his eyes. It is right before God's eyes for you to be clothed with your new self because it's created in true righteousness, to be like God in true righteousness. How many of you believe that God is truly righteous? Yeah. Jesus says, uh, Paul says of Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin for you and me that we might become the righteousness of God. In the new self, you get to participate in the righteousness of Christ. And God can deem you, in this new self, righteous before him. Right standing before him, approved by him. And not just right standing or approved by him, but sanctified, set apart by him in true holiness. Because that is what God has sanctioned. Now, this reality 
of you receiving the invitation to walk in kingdom culture where what is central in this kingdom culture is relationship with Jesus that then transforms your thinking, transforms your heart, transforms your actions. What results of that, it's beautiful to, to, to engage in that and to receive his invitation because what results? What results is these relational realities that you and I can experience together. As we read in the rest of the, the passage, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with, the, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So as we enter in to putting on the new self, being clothed in this new self, it has relational implications in your relationship with one another. Paul is linking these uh, relational realities with, with doctrinal truth. I like that. I read that in a commentary, so, and I see it, right? So he says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth of this neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's the doctrine. We're members of one another. Right? The reason why you ought to speak truth is to preserve unity and because we all belong to one another. We're all connected. So why lie to a part of you that is you? <laughs> why lie to a part of you? You know the, the, the detriment of lying to yourself as an individual, right? Lying to yourself. How greater would that, that, that well, that would directly apply to how we relate to one another. We ought to speak the truth with our neighbors. There's seven things or six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, according to Proverbs 6, 16 through 17. It says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Right? Those are the first. One of the things he says he hates is a lying tongue. When Jesus speaks of the, uh, the devil, he speaks of the devil in John chapter 8 as a liar and says that's his native language. And essentially, if you and I side with lies and begin to propagate lies, what we're doing is we are walking not in step with Jesus, but with the devil, the father of lies. And we don't want to be that way. Amen? So Jesus teaches us to be careful with how we speak, right? We'll, we'll talk about uh, that passage when we get there. What time do we have? Oh, we good. All right. He says to them then, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger because we have theology about Satan and give no opportunity to the devil. So anger gives opportunity, anger that is rooted in hatred and wrath. Jesus tells us, uh, sorry, Paul tells us that this gives an opportunity to the devil. It gives land to the devil. It gives space to the devil, space that he should not occupy, space that he should not be in. And so we need to be careful in our anger. It is possible to be angry and not sin. It's possible that you can be angry about injustice, be angry about lies, be angry about things that affect other people, right? Well, when it comes to hating one another, we ought not to, to walk 
in that way. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We ought not to lie instead. We should stop sinning in our anger. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. Uh, We ought not to be hateful and so walk into uh, a murderous heart. The beginnings of murder is anger. Instead, we should release that. Our thirst for blood. Right? Amen? He says in verse <clears throat> 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The call and how relationally we affect one another is that we, we do not seek to take what is not ours, but we seek to work hard with our own hands. That's the kingdom culture. Remember, work is not a result of the curse. There was work before sin came into the world. Work got harder as a result of the curse, but work is the ethic of the people of God. If you're sitting around being lazy, stealing, snatching things that you shouldn't, being a klepto, then you need to stop. Paul says, stop that. Stop stealing. Stop taking what's not yours, but instead engage in honest work. Do honest work. Why? Not so that you can build up your barns or your bank account, right? None of you have barns, right? So more like your bank account and fill your house with stuff and be able to do things not for that purpose, but so that you may have something to share with those who are in need. See, the reality is, is that I believe that until Jesus comes, poverty will always be a thing. It will be around. There will always be people who come into hard times who need help, right? And there are always people that God can put in that place to alleviate that, right? How many of you have been recipients of that? God putting people in the right place to alleviate your hard times, right? Because they had something to share with those who are in need. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. The other thing that that we are invited that affects us relationally is in verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We need to speak words that are beneficial. We need to be careful with how we use our mouths and the, the usage of our mouths are helpful for building others up. Those of you, I remember one time I was going to a wedding and there had been a uh, a girl from college whose husband divorced her, like no good reason, he just left. And when I saw her, we were friends in college, when I saw her at this wedding, I, I looked at her and her head was just like hung down, filled with shame. I mean, we were in a wedding and she had just been divorced by her husband for no good reason, mainly probably because he didn't want to take care of her because she was sick. So in her hard time, He just rolled out, right? And so in that moment, I felt of the Lord, and I would say it was a prophetic moment. I looked at her and says, the Lord is not angry with you. You ought to have no shame. And in that moment, I saw what looked heavy to become light, right? It was the right word for the right moment for her at that right time. And it helped her. She never wrote back to me and said, but I saw the change right there. That she could be around us and not feel shame. That she could be around us and not feel guilty or otherness, right? 
And so there are ways in which we can use our mouth, and we need to be very careful with this because there is life in the tongue, right? You have the ability to spark, a, a, create a forest fire, and Smokey the Bear would, would tell you only you can prevent forest fires, right? That's what he would say. Use your tongue right. Only you can prevent forest fires. Amen? Thank you, Smokey the Bear, for entering into our moment. We ought to speak words that are beneficial, is what he says. Jesus says to us in Matthew 12, 36 through 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. We ought to be careful with how we use our tongues, because with the use of our tongues, we can align ourselves with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful with that. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 31 is an invitation also. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. The fact that Paul says, be put away from you, means that you are not powerless. Deception says to you and to me that we have no control over these. I can't control whether I'm bitter. I can't control whether I'm giving outbursts of anger. I can't control whether I'm screaming at somebody. I can't control whether I'm how I perceive their lives. Whether, you know, that slander is to call what is good bad. Or the, the, the opposite, what is bad, good. We can put off malice, the wicked way of being. Whether it's expressed or not, malice that, that lives inside of us. We are not powerless over these things. So he says, remove what's removable. You can put it away. You can put away bitterness. You can put away wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. It's possible. This root of bitterness that a lot of us carry for the longest of times, really, I, I believe the Lord, we were praying, uh, I was praying for a family here at the church, and I feel like the Lord gave me different pictures of roots. Roots that were, uh, roots that were decorated, roots that were like rotted, it was rotted but decorated. Meaning, I believe that the meaning of that was that there is bitterness that some of you, like, treated like a fashion statement. And you excuse whatever you do and whatever you say because you have bitterness in your heart and everybody has to come in line with your bitterness. But the Lord then showed me roots that were beginning and they were filled with life. And, and I believe in that picture, the Lord was saying that for some of you, he wants to give you the roots that are lively once again. He wants to transplant you and give you roots of joy, roots of peace, roots of righteousness. Really, what Paul says, be grounded and rooted in love. And when you are grounded and rooted in love and bitterness is uprooted, what you will see is life. What you will see is an outlook of your life that is totally different than what you have ever imagined. Something of what Jesus says is good for us. Let me rephrase that. Everything of what Jesus says is good for us. Some of us are stubborn in our thinking and we don't want to give in. We don't want to put off the things that we can because we want to have this victim mentality when the Lord says, I've made you a victor. I've conquered so that you can conquer. So when we look at our past, we never look at our past as a victim. Our past is never looked at as a victim. Now we look at it with victory. What I like to say is everything that was a stumbling block behind me is now a monument of God's faithfulness in my life. Come on, praise the Lord. He's good. So I really feel in my heart that the Lord is calling you out of that deception 
That bitterness does not have to define you. That wrath doesn't have to define you. That anger doesn't have to define you. That crying out and screaming to one another doesn't have to define you. That slandering one another and and having this wickedness in your heart doesn't have to be your way of life. You can put it off. Praise the Lord that we can put it off. And we can make a move. We put that off. And we make a move towards kindness to one another. We put that off and we make a move towards tenderheartedness to one another. We put those things off and we make a move to forgiving one another. Why? God has done that for you. He's shown you his kindness. He's shown you his compassion. He's shown you his forgiveness. And you and I can then move in that direction. I give praise to the Lord. Significant things that changed in my life. When I came to to know Jesus Christ. When his life started taking root in me. As a kid, you know, you, you do what the parents do. You do what you see adults doing. And sometimes you get smacked for it even though they did the thing that you're doing. Right? I think I've said that before. There's a little bit of things that I need to work through in my life that I got smacked for because I saw them do it. Anyways, <laughs> victory in Jesus. But one of the things that I, that I can look at significantly that's changed is my attitude towards homel- homelessness and ad- addicts. We, I was taught by the adults on my block because my block was infested with drug dealers from the both ends of the block in the middle. Growing up, these people are to be exploited. These people are to be disgraced. They can be the laughing stock of the block. You can do whatever you want with them. Why? Because they need you. And I had that same attitude until Jesus changed my life. And all of a sudden, I started feeling compassion. All of a sudden, I started feeling like, man, these people are being treated very wrongly. And this should not be it. Right? The other thing that changed in me was the idea of how I want to do family, right? I, how many of you know Frank Santiago? We support, a lot of you support them in Germany. But I, Frankie and I known each other from first grade, uh, and then in, in our high school days, we reconnected at, a, at Cornerstone Community Church, and then we grew up a little bit together uh, and grew even tighter as we gave our lives to Jesus more, Right? So in that group of friends, in that group of teenagers that arose, we saw little fruit, little people remaining in the faith. But one of the things Frankie and I wanted to do was we wanted to do family different. We wanted to do it differently. Why? Because we know how jacked up our lives were. We know how many nights we were afraid when we laid in our beds, how many nights we weren't sure if we were going to have heat, how many nights we weren't sure if we were going to have food, right? How many nights we don't know, you know, if who's coming in the house at what day, at what night. You know what I mean? If you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. But what Frankie and I decided is like we want Jesus to change us to the point where we do family different. Right? To leave a legacy of, of, of godliness behind us versus a, a legacy of destruction behind us. Right? So we became, Jesus allowed us to become intentional fathers, right? Where we look at our children as blessings, where we sharpen and we polish the arrows that the Lord has put in our quiver with intentionality, right? And we protect them and we provide for them and we serve them. Why? So that the Lord could have his way in their lives. The ultimate goal that I see in my life is to point my kids to the Father in heaven. And so every day when I, when I, I've said this before, and I will say it again. When I put them down, t- whenever it's my chance to put them down to bed, I bless them. I want them to have eyes to see, ears to hear the Lord, and heart to love the Lord, right? Because the greatest, the commandment that the Lord gave to the people of Israel was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we, were to, to, we are to teach our kids how to do that, right? And so the, when the Gentile way of living means that I could do whatever I want regardless of how that affects my kids, But the Christ-like way of living, the the kingdom culture way of living is that I look at my kids as a blessing 
and not a curse and not a hindrance to my life, right? But I see them as, as people to be discipled and developed in the love of God. That's different than what I grew up with. And so what you need to know also is that th- these things could be true of you and of me, right? As they are of me, they can be true of you. And Jesus invites you to put off the old self, to take on the new self. Why? So that you could experience the true, righteous, and holy life. Not waiting to heaven, but here on earth now. Amen? Amen? So, Paul says for us to renounce. Can we renounce some things? No one's eager. That's okay. All right. Can we stand up? Just going down the list of 31, some of us need to renounce all of these things, so we'll just go through it. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I just want to pray over us. Lord, as we do this, we ask for your authority. We ask for your power. We ask, Lord, for the resources of heaven to be moved in this way so that your children could put these away, Lord God, and be confident in you and what you have done, Lord, and to walk with your mind, with your heart, and with your actions. We ask that in Jesus' name. It says, in the name of Jesus, I renounce bitterness. I renounce wrath. I renounce anger. I renounce clamor. I renounce slander. And I renounce malice. And in the name of Jesus, and by the Spirit of Jesus, I embrace kindness. I embrace tenderheartedness. I embrace forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me pray over you once again. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done. We thank you for the great things that you have to offer us, the great experiences, Lord. We want to hear your voice daily, Jesus, and we want to be taught in you daily, Lord, and we want to walk in step and in alignment with your kingdom culture, Lord kingdom culture for all peoples and all nations to walk in the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the actions of Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.